Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online simply by going to gracelife.church. Many of us make New Year's resolutions. We look at where we've been, what we've done, and we believe there's more. Maybe you tried, but things didn't turn out as you expected. Maybe you've stepped out in some areas and pursued dreams and a career and taken bold steps. But when it comes to our spiritual life, we tend to shy away. If you've ever asked the question, why me? Or wondered, what is spiritual life all about anyway? Well, join us for our conversation on Why Me? All right, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? Man, it's so good to see you guys. If you're a guest, we especially want to welcome you. Glad to have you guys worshiping here with us today. Uh, Today is a special day for us because we are kicking off our week of prayer and fasting. And I'm just going to take a moment before we get into the message. Glad I heard one person excited about fasting. Maybe we're up to two now. That's enough, though, because let's not turn this into like an auction or anything weird. Uh, But hey, let me talk about that for a minute before we get into the message. Uh, Depending on your upbringing, fasting may be a normal part of your spiritual journey, or it it could be very far from it. I I grew up in a a set of denominations that we, we didn't fast. We feasted. Come on, anybody, you went to church and had fried chicken after it. That, that's, that's my upbringing right there. Uh, and so you may think that fasting is for uh, Muslims or Catholics or nobody or whatever. But Jesus actually said, hey, when you fast, as he was teaching his disciples what to do. So fasting is something that he wants for us. And uh, just real quickly, I'd like to touch on, on uh, something somebody said to me earlier this week. Somebody said, uh, say, hey, hey, what are you doing for the week of prayer and fasting? And, uh, because uh, I'm fasting. Uh, and they said, no, no, what are you giving up? And so I just want to touch on that phrase right there. A lot of times we talk about what we're giving up for uh, fasting, and that, that's not really what it's all about. It's not about taking your favorite thing and going without for a week. Uh, if that were the case, we'd call it our week of torture. Uh, that's not the point. See, the reason we do fasting is to disconnect from the world so that we can connect better with God. And so traditionally fasting is food, and that's what you usually see in the Bible, and that's usually the first choice. Uh, The reason for that is because your body is going to constantly remind you uh, that you're supposed to be disconnecting and reconnecting. And so if you are fasting food, then every now and then when your stomach screams at you, You've got that reminder, oh, uh, let me go and, and talk with God. Let me, let me get closer to God. So you may take your lunch break and, and go on a prayer walk instead or something like that. So that's kind of the idea behind it. Yeah, but the truth is some of us uh, don't need to get rid of our donuts. You can keep your donuts and your french fries. What might be a bigger issue for you is something else in your life. It, it could be that, that food is in an okay place and uh, what's really driving you is, is the social media or the comparisons, the frustrations the anger when you look at all that's going on in the world. So some of you will, will have all the milkshakes and fried chicken you want this week, but you will be curled up in fetal position with Facebook withdrawal, not knowing what is going on in somebody else's life. So maybe that's what you would set aside. And you know, another, just a really good thing is sometimes just 
You know, uh, technology keeps getting better and better. And so now with uh, the, the wireless things, you know, just an AirPod that never leaves your ear. There's like music on all the time. Somebody's always talking. Something's always going on. And, and it's really hard to just hear God's voice when there's never enough space for him, right? So look, some of you, you may just want to turn your radio off when you're driving this week. Some of you, that might be what you're fasting. Maybe TV so that you have time, uh, a quiet uh, time in your life. Maybe food, whatever. Look, here's the deal. I told you this last week. We don't tell you how to fast because we're not a cult. Um, you know, that's just not how that works. We're, we're just trying to get closer to God, and uh, we're Jesus followers, and so we're going to do what he said, when you fast. And so um, I, I just want to make sure we understand this is not about trying to torture yourself, trying to take away your favorite thing. Let me tell you what it's about. Uh, when I was preaching on fasting a few years ago, I felt the Holy Spirit gave me a sentence, um, and I'm going to share it with you, and, and here it is. This is what fasting is about. Fasting reminds us that our physical world is not our home. If you're ever frustrated, with your house, if your carpet's dingy and your floors are bad and there's too many potholes in the road, I just want you all to know you're going to have a home and the floors and the streets are made of gold, right? There's a better day coming. And fasting reminds us it's not all about this. It's not all about what you see. And, and so then the second thing, fasting reminds us that our physical desires are not most important. You know, we, we think they are. Uh, we, we think comfort and, and pleasure and uh, all of those sorts of things are the most important things that drive our lives. The truth is, many times those are the things that are distracting us from uh, getting closer to God. And then the last one is that our physical body is not our God. You know, it, it's real good at screaming, feed me! And so, you know, you're constantly like, oh, you get real focused on that. So look, whatever God puts on your heart, um, uh, here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to come together. When you fast, it's also good to come together as God's people. We see this all throughout Scripture that you just get together and, and pray for what God's doing in your lives for each other and, and maybe for a corporate purpose. And so we're going to be here. They're going to put times on the screen for you every day this week, Monday through Friday, 630 to 730, Saturday 9 to 10. And a couple of things about that I want you to know. Um, we're going to start on time and we're going to end on time. That's my promise to you. And so you can also come late. You can leave early if you need to for work. It's not going to be like this. I'm not preaching. So you won't, won't be like, oh, no, I don't want to come late. You, you can come late. Ladies, moms, whoever, you also can bring kids. We have a lot of moms that show up with kids uh, in their pajamas and blankets and, you know, whatever works for you. It's, I think it's a great way to model for your children that seeking God is an important thing in our lives. So uh, try to come out one of those days or at least part of it and, and see what uh, you'd experience. It's a lot of fun, surprisingly. You may think pray and fasting, that's not fun. Trust me. Um, and then uh, we've got one really special night tomorrow night, uh, 7 to 8. If you're one of those people who just loves worship and, and loves that experience, and say, I really wish they would just sing longer and stop letting Jimmy talk so much. Well, this is your chance. That's what we do Monday night. And anybody who's ever come out for one of our uh, prayer and worship nights, we only have two a year, um, one in January, one in August. Uh, people say that's their, their favorite time. So um, that one might go five minutes over. I'll go ahead and warn you. We're going to start at seven. Might end at about eight, eight oh five, something like that. I, I understand there is a national championship afoot. That's coming tomorrow night. Uh, but uh, hey, you'll get home before the first quarter is over and uh, it'll be okay. All the important stuff happens later anyway, right? So good stuff. Okay, so hey, also we've got on our website or our app, they're going to show you this right here, we've got a resource page for you. We've got links to some sermons I've preached on fasting before, if this is a totally new concept. Uh, we've got some articles, some questions uh, and answers type stuff. And then I actually recorded a Q&A one time. We get a lot of, of the same questions, and so I sat down and just gave one or two minute, three minute answers to each of those questions. So that is on there as well. 
so here's the deal. We're starting today, and uh, by starting today, what I mean is take today and ask God what he'd want you to do. And uh, maybe look up some of these resources if this is your first time, if you've never done this before. And uh, then uh, be ready tomorrow to do whatever God would put on your heart. Maybe he'd ask you to skip lunch every day and take a prayer walk. Uh, maybe he'd say, turn off the noise. Uh, maybe he'd say, fast for three days. Uh, you know, whatever. I, again, we're going to leave that to you. So take today, talk to God, see what he'd want for you. Hope to see you guys here tomorrow morning, 6.30. And at this point, just the teacher in me wants to go, any questions? <laughs> but no, I uh, can't do questions. That would that'd be pretty chaotic right about now. Again, go to that webpage. All your answers are there. So, with that being said, we're kicking off a new series today. I'm, I'm excited for this because, first of all, I'm excited to be back and preaching. I took two weeks uh, from preaching, and that, that's just hard for me to do. I don't do that very often, but uh, after Christmas, took a little break and then took my kids skiing to a little family vacation. And uh, I don't know why I'm going to tell you about this, but I just am. It's not my notes, it's just for the fun of it. So, um, my oldest son, I taught to ski about 10 years ago, and then I had my, my next three, and uh, they had never skied. So, I thought, I'm going to be a really smart dad and put them in ski school. Actually, I was being really selfish. I just wanted to ski, and I can't ski if I'm talking to them the whole time, right? Uh, so I went to check them into ski school, and they said it would be an hour and a half before the next lesson would start. And I think, what are my kids going to do for an hour and a half except slide into a ditch and cry? So I'm going to have to, like, teach them something for an hour and a half, and by the time that's up, I might as well not pay for ski school. So my day didn't go as planned because I spent all day one-on-three trying to teach three kids how to ski. That was rather chaotic, and my wife thought she was going to be all warm and cozy in the lodge looking out the window, and instead she spent the whole day picking up one of the three, just taking turns all down the, the kitty slopes. There you go. I'm glad to be back. I am really glad to be back. Uh, it was a good vacation, but boy, that was quite an adventurous day. So anyway, uh, what we're talking about in this series is one really simple question, two words, why me? That's it. Why me? And I think one of the most important things that we need at the beginning of a, a year when we're trying to figure out life and, and get things better, truth is we need this anytime, but especially when we're really asking these questions, is to know that our life matters. Come on, anybody with me on that one? One of the most important things we need is to know our life matters. And in order for that to happen, it's got to be something eternal, right? It's got to be something that outlasts us and goes on beyond that. So uh, what I'm really talking about is, is something in God's kingdom that, that God has put in your heart, called you to do, created you to do. So unapologetically, these three weeks that we're doing this series, we're talking about your spiritual leadership. That, that's what we're talking about is that God has put something in you to do and we want to, to see you walk in that because too often we kind of do the, the why me? Me? Why, me? I'm not qualified kind of thing. And, um, you know, here's the thing. When we think about spiritual leadership, too often you think about pastors. I, I need everybody to do this. Take a finger right here, everybody point a finger and they'll point it back at you. There you go. Those people, every one of those people, you are actually supposed to be the spiritual leaders. So think about this. When Jesus uh, talked to his disciples, he always told them, you go do it. He said, these people are hungry. You feed them. He said, you go from town to town and heal the sick and cast out demons. How would y'all like it if we did that? So, all right, everybody, this week, uh, I want you to go door to door, cast out demons. Next week, we're going to go around the room and take out numbers. Uh, how many demons you cast out? How many demons you... <laughs> yeah, that'd be a little strange. We're not going to do that. Y'all relax. But Jesus told people, you... You, you, you go and make disciples. And sometimes we just forget that there's a thing for us to do that, you know, maybe I'm just going to go and watch the pastor every week. But if you're following Jesus, 
You need to know, if you're following Jesus, you are in a very large crowd of what would amount to hundreds of millions of people. If you look around, you're going to see there's somebody behind you. And so as you follow him, somebody's supposed to be able to follow you. And that's when you go, wow, man, life makes a difference because you've made a difference in somebody else's life. Instead of going, why me? Why me? I'm going to tell you, I, I drive up to this, this property here at least five days a week. And when I, when I drive up and, and I see what God has done and what he's provided and, and knowing how many people are going to show up on Sunday and, and listen to me, I, I just sit there and just think, why me? I mean, why do I get to do this? There, there's much better people, much more qualified people, and uh, I'm just blown away why, why God lets me do this. And when I first started uh, pastoring, I, I had an appointment, and it was, it was a very um, interesting appointment because it was a soldier who wanted to talk to me, and uh, so he scheduled this appointment. That part didn't bother me because he was a friend. I knew him. I, I was okay with that. And so we get an appointment. We're at the Panera down here at the village of Sand Hills. And, and he begins talking to me about what he's done and what he's going through in life. And um, he begins explaining to me uh, that, that he's, he's very good at what he does. And, you know, the Army's trained him, and he's very good at what the Army trained him to do. And as a result, he, he has you know, some, some trauma and some, some things going on in his soul because of that. Any soldiers kind of follow what I'm saying by that? And uh, so as I'm sitting there listening to him, I, I'm thinking, why me? <laughs> what in the world am I going to say? I haven't been where you've been. I haven't done what you've done. I, I, don't, I don't think I have any answers for you. God, why am I here right now? What am I supposed to help him with? And so as he finishes talking, and I just gave him the same question I gave God. He, he stopped talking. I finally just said, why me? And uh, I mean, there's got to be, you know, other people. There are people more qualified than me. Uh, and he said, I know. <laughs> that didn't encourage me, just so you know. I said, but, but there are people at Fort Jackson, and there are counselors, and, and there are doctors. There are a lot of people who really can give you better advice than I have. And, and he said, look, I, I've talked to them. I want to talk to my pastor. I need you to help me understand what God is doing with all of this. And at that point, I understood, oh, you know, sometimes when we ask why me, we don't see the qualification. I was thinking, I'm not qualified for this, but, but I was qualified for the actual question that he really had. Does that, does that make sense? So here's the thing. When we ask the question, why me, I'm not qualified, the truth is, sometimes you're right. And, and here's the thing, the next two parts of this series is going to be dedicated to when you're right, you're not ready, you're not qualified, you don't have the answers. And so the next two parts of this series is dedicated to trying to help you answer one question. How long are you going to stay that way? Right? I mean, we're, we're real good. At, oh, well, I mean, I'm not quite qualified for that. Okay, how long are you going to stay that way? When are you going to get over yourself and do something about it? I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, it's going to hurt. And, and I'm, going to, I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings. And so next week is going to be painful. But hey, it's a four-day weekend. So if you want to take your kids skiing and get out of it, you just go right ahead. That's, that's going to be your choice. But I'm going to be here hurting somebody's feelings. Anyway, so today, though, I want to answer something else. I want to lay a foundation. Before we go on and talk about what you're going to do about it, let's talk about this. Sometimes when you say, God, why me? I'm not qualified. You're wrong. And it's the voice of the enemy. 
and God knows exactly who he called. And whether you think you're qualified or not, God knows exactly what he's doing. And so that's what I want to talk to us about today before we go into the other part. And we're going to look at a character. Uh, I call him a character because he's, he's a character. He's a funny dude. We're going to look at a guy in the Bible uh, who, honestly, he's a hero of our faith. Many of us would say, man, I'd love to, to grow up and have the story that this guy had, or at least part of it, a huge hero of our faith, and yet he was one of the biggest, whiniest, whimey people in all of the Bible. So um, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. If you're new to having a Bible and, and uh, following God and trying to read that, it is the second book. So it's the very beginning, the second book, and, and chapter 3, just go 1, 2, 3. Uh, while they're turning there, I'm going to give you the backstory and also to let you know it's all going to be on the screen. So if you don't have your Bibles, don't worry, you won't miss one thing. But here's where we are in history, the backstory for what we're looking at today. God says he's going to have a people upon the earth. And you and I know his people on the earth as Israel now. It's, it's easy for us to look back at history and go, yes, God has a nation known as Israel. Um, actually, we're even a little further along than that. We know that God has a people, not only Israel, but anybody who calls on his son as king, right? Okay, but if we back all the way up to the beginning, God comes and says, I'm going to have a people on the earth. And so he comes to a guy named Abraham and says, I'm going to make a multitude out of you. Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob finally has 12 sons, and this is the beginning of Israel. We got 12 sons, 12 tribes, and all of, all of these guys. So we got a pretty large family at this point. What happens, pretty large family, really big, bad famine. They can't feed. Everybody is in big trouble. Now, there's another story we're not going to get into today, but it turns out that one of those 12 sons has already ended up somewhere else. They're in Egypt. And they have made a way for there to be plenty of food for everybody. So God's people, Israel, ends up down in Egypt as the honored guest. The problem is over time, the Pharaoh dies, new Pharaohs come along, and the family that used to be big is now a really large multitude. Matter of fact, maybe better said, a small nation. They've gone from a big family to a small nation. And since the Pharaoh has been replaced, everybody started thinking, wait a minute, there are so many of them, they could take over us. We better get them under control. As a result, they went from being honored guests to slaves. And that's where we pick up the story. God says, I'm ready to get my people out of Egypt, out of slavery. I'm going to set them free, and I'm going to use you. And the guy that he's going to use is Moses. We're going to pick up the story, verse 1, chapter 3 here. And so, now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Come on, y'all, that's just funny. I'm thinking, I thought this was the Middle East, not Alabama. Jethro. Did anybody grow up watching the Beverly Hillbillies? I mean, it is just hard to imagine this guy is like a competent, straight-placed human being, like Jethro. Okay, anyway. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. Well, that'd be a little confusing, right? And so Moses said, huh, I think I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him, out of the bush. Skip to, to verse 7. So the Lord said, look, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who were in Egypt and have heard their cry. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And then Moses started whining. Here you go. But Moses said to God, who am I 
Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Let me translate that for you. He just said, why me? Come on, God. Why me? Out of everybody, why me? Am I the only one that you can send? Now look, if this was the only thing in the Bible, we could could maybe even get away with preaching that Moses was an incredibly humble guy. Because Moses says, oh, who am I? that I should be the one you would use. Come on, God, there are great people upon the earth. Who am I? Uh, But that story doesn't stop there, so we know it's not his humility that caused him to say this. He continues to go on telling God everything that he thinks God doesn't know about him that makes him unqualified and the wrong guy for the job. So so you can just, the story kind of goes a little like this, like, uh, so uh, God, I don't know if you remember this, but you know, uh, I am wanted for murder in the very place you want me to go. Uh, it's going to be a little tough to do the job if I'm in jail. And so you want me to go to a place where I'm wanted for murder and talk to the Pharaoh, in case you miss this when God down here on earth. A Pharaoh is a king, and I'm a shepherd, and shepherds stink a little bit. So I'm, I'm one of the lower, stinkier jobs, and he's a king in a palace. Probably not going to get to talk to him. Oh, yeah, in case you forgot, well, I'm a Hebrew. I'm one of the slave people. And uh, so you're actually saying that you want me, uh, a stinky, smelly shepherd of his slave people uh, who's wanted for murder, to knock on his front door and ask for tea. Seriously, God? I mean, come on. This is not quite going to work. And in case you missed all that, God, you forgot. I I I can't talk. I stutter. I I struggle to speak. That's why I'm out here with lambs. That's it. They go back and I go back and everybody's happy. And that's just, so I clearly you have the wrong person. And this is everything that Moses was saying. Why me? Do you, do you know what's at the root of all of our why me responses to God? Insecurity. Now, look, when we talk about a word, if we're going through a Bible verse and, and an important word comes out, I always like to go back and study the, the original language. I like to study the Greek and the Hebrew to make sure that we are looking at that word the way the Bible intends us to look at that word. Does that make sense? And, and I think that's a good thing to do, by the way. Uh, but this word is, I'm not pulling it out of the Bible. I'm, I'm pulling it out of the English language. So just for the fun of it, I did a little research there to make sure that we're using this word the way that the English language intends for us to use it. Because we've all used the word insecurity. Uh, we all kind of know generally when to use it. But most of us would probably struggle to write an actual definition for it. And, and so here's the, the very simple definition. It means uncertainty about yourself. Think about that. It's a little thought-provoking, isn't it? To be uncertain about yourself, it means you're not sure of, of who you are or what you could do or if you'll succeed or how will this go if you're involved? There's a lot of uncertainty there, and maybe, maybe I, I shouldn't do this. I don't know. Just there's too much uncertainty. And so what happens when we've got all of this uncertainty about who I am and who God made me to be and what God is calling me to do, then it is prime ground for the enemy to say what he wants to say, because we're not sure he's wrong. We're uncertain about ourselves. So I, I need you to, to catch this. It's so important. I'm going to put it on the screen for you. Insecurity empowers the voice of the enemy. Think about that. Insecurity empowers the voice of the enemy. If we're uncertain about us, it allows him to say anything he wants, and it begins to take life, and we begin to believe all of the things that the enemy would say instead of what God would say. 
And, and so I did a little more research on this. If, if insecurity, if our uncertainty about who we are is what lays the foundation of, of saying why me to God every time he calls us to take a step and do something, we need to understand where it came from. And so I'm not a psychologist, but if you'll allow me, I did a little bit of research and there are some key reasons that we have this uncertainty about ourselves in our lives. And the first one is our childhood upbringing. Uh, the truth is probably no one in here um, was, was raised in a, a palace with everything going your way and every servant's uh, whole instruction was to make sure that you had a perfect life. That probably never even happened. Uh, and, and if that did, it even comes with its own uh, set of issues when you grow up with that one. Uh, it, it, we're all going to have something. Most of us had something happen where we say, I don't like that. I didn't like the way my mama treated me that day, or I didn't like the way that happened, or I didn't like that we had to move schools between my third and fourth grade year, or I, I don't like, you know, we've all got something from our childhood that, that kind of messes with our security of who we think we should be, and something didn't go that way, and we don't know why, we're confused, maybe we just outright don't, don't like it. Think about Moses. Moses' childhood was honestly a little messed up. I don't know if you know this story, but the Pharaoh when Moses was born, believed that a Hebrew child was going to be born that would deliver his people. Funny thing, actually happens, right? And so what his answer was, I'll just kill them all. I'll kill all of the boys. If there's a boy being born right now, I'll kill every boy two years old and younger. And so here is Moses's mother, and she's got this baby. And the only way that she can keep the baby is to lose the baby. The baby's going to die if he stays with her. She's not allowed to have a son two years old and, and younger. So she takes Moses, puts him in a basket, puts him in a river, knowing that no Hebrew person can pull him out of the river. The only hope she has is that an Egyptian will pull him out of the river. But wait a minute, the Egyptians are wanting to kill all of the boys two years old and younger. What are the odds an Egyptian will actually find him, see him, pull him out, and keep him? Not very good, but the good news is when you're dealing with God, you don't need good odds because you got God. So as the story goes, out of all the people who would actually come across him, probably the only person in the entire kingdom that had the right to get away with this was daddy's girl. Come on, any daddy's girls in the room? The princess, the daughter of Pharaoh, finds the baby and goes, oh, how cute. I think I'll keep him. Anybody else would have been told no, but I've got one little girl. And I'm telling you, it, yeah, she gets whatever she wants. That's just how that works. So the, the princess gets Moses and raises Moses in Pharaoh's house as one of the sons of the king. I mean, that, that's just crazy when you think about that so but he looks in a mirror and knows wait a minute I'm not one of them and, and then they tell us another reason that we develop some insecurity is because of critical voices now I don't know about you some of us grew up in a home where if you made a B it wasn't good enough because it wasn't an A and if you did this, it wasn't good enough because it wasn't that. And, and it was, there was a lot of critical voice or you had a critical voice from a coach, a parent, and a grandmother, whatever the story was. Imagine being an outsider who is expected to, to act like a perfect son of the king. Stand up straight. Don't use that accent. Don't speak like that. Don't talk to them. They're the slaves, but they're my people. Don't talk to them. You know, I mean, can you imagine? Another thing that they tell us will, will help us develop these insecurities in our life is when we have a rejection experience, or have many rejection experiences. So once Moses figured out who he was, he decided to go and help his people. So he goes outside and he finds a slave being abused, and in order to, to help the abused slave, he kills the taskmaster, the Egyptian guy, and he thinks that everybody's going to go, thank you for saving me. Instead, they all go, get away or you're going to kill us too. 
Like, wait a minute. Um, I just got cast out by my people because I killed one of them. Now I thought you would embrace me and you reject me. Right? And they also tell us that fear of failure. Here's what happens. Moses goes out. He takes a risk, comes up with an idea. I'm going to set them free. Not only uh, do they reject him, but his whole plan failed. He thought that he would be the hero. He's no longer the hero. Yeah. We, we, we hate sitting the bench. If you've ever played sports and you've sat the bench, it is boring. It is unfulfilling, right? Has anybody in here ever played sports and you went to every practice after school and, and you went on weekends and then you went to the games and when it came game time, you never got to play. You sat the bench the whole time and you had a great time and were fulfilled. Anybody? Yep, okay. See, here's the thing. But many of us are sitting the bench when it comes to what God's called us to do. And the reason for it is because the guy on the bench, although he is bored and unfulfilled, he'll never take the blame for a mistake. It's never his name in the headline for missing the winning shot because he was on the bench. And it is safe. It is safe for you to be bored and unfulfilled. And then the last thing that I'm going to touch on today, I'm not going to do everything that possibly feeds our insecurities, but the last one they say is just our negative thoughts about ourselves. You know what's funny is when God says, hey, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. Moses didn't say, let me have a little bit of time to pray about that, and I'll get back to you. He didn't say, "Uh, let me think about that. I'll come back to you with a list of pros and cons. Just as quick as he could talk, he just blurted out all that was up in his head, which is, I'm not good enough. I'm a murderer. I'm a bad guy. I'm just a shepherd. I'm a nobody. I can't do this. I stutter. I can't speak out. I mean, all of the negative stuff about why he thought he could be nobody and do nothing He was there, and it's always there. And and we can have all these ideas that say, you can't do because, and every one of us has them. And and they come from who knows what in in your life. And I I grew up in uh, an area where there were two really distinct groups of people. There was uh, a very affluent neighborhood, and uh, it was a gated neighborhood, and everybody who lived there had had fathers who had CEOs and college degrees, and, and they were at one level, and then everybody else. I grew up, I was on the rural side of things, and uh, my dad drove a tractor. You know, I'm not a tractor trailer, y'all. He, we, we had a house on our, our family farm, the same farm that he grew up on, and he worked three jobs and, and was blue-collar, and, and there was a line in the sand between the cool kids and everybody else, and the, the cool kids ran for for class president and the cool kids were the quarterback and, and all that sort of stuff. And, and so I always just thought that I'm, I'm one of the nobodies. And, and it honestly isn't true. As I look back over my life, I had a really, really good upbringing, but, but it's what I thought. And I thought, well, this is wrong with me and that's wrong with me. And, and I got picked on a lot. And, and that made me think that something was wrong with me. I mean, first of all, you just pick on people in school, unfortunately, right? I mean, anybody get picked on in school? That's like all of us, right? You know, but, and, and not for the same reason, because you're like, whoop, way up there. But I got picked on because I was 4'11 when I went to high school. I mean, look, that's okay if you're a girl. It's not okay if you're a guy. I mean, somebody's only got to be five feet tall, and suddenly they can pick on me, Right? So, so I was just always like just trying to stay out of the way. There is no way that you would have found me on a stage trying to lead people, trying to talk. You know, I, I wouldn't have been doing anything that I'm doing now that I know God had told me to do. He told me to do this when I was young, but, but I didn't think because there were all these negative ideas of who I was and what I could do. And here's the thing. Every single one of us, we've dealt with that. Everybody in here has something in your childhood that makes you uncertain 
about what you could succeed at or what you could do. Uh, every one of us has, has been rejected at something. Every one of us has had some kind of uh, failure. Every one of us is, is struggling with something to believe about ourselves. So I, I need you to hear this because this is what uh, Moses uh, and God, this is the, the, how the conversation kind of goes. What you need to know, you may be uncertain about who you are, but God isn't. You may be uncertain about who you are, but God is not. God knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what he put in you. He knows exactly what he made you for. The Bible tells us in Ephesians, it says that we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And that word workmanship uh, is so important because it means that we are uniquely crafted. We're not just biological accidents. We're not a part of a mass assembly line. If anybody saw Boss Baby, that is not how it goes down in in the movie. Uh, God makes each one of us to do what he has created you to do. And so when he says, hey, I'm calling you to do this. I'm giving you leadership in my kingdom. I want you to go and touch another life and make a difference and do something. And you go, why me? I'm I'm not qualified. I want you to just think about the conversation with God and Moses. God said, I'm paraphrasing if you're new to the Bible, by the way. So I'm just giving you all heads up on this. So you Think back to when you were born, Moses. Have you ever noticed that there is nobody like you a year older or a year younger or celebrating your birthday with you? You are the only one. You have been like uniquely saved for the very thing that I've called you to do. I have spared your life. I have put you in a situation that nobody else could be in. I had a, a pastor, have a pastor friend of mine, phenomenal singer. He's actually an artist and a pastor, and he's super talented, and just makes me feel like God didn't workmanship me quite as much as he did him, but I'm just totally kidding. Uh, but anyway, he fell out of a four-story window when he was uh, like three or four years old on the concrete and got right up and started playing again. See, that's when you go, okay, God must be up to something here. And, and every one of you, I don't know what your story is, but you have one. You have that car accident in high school where it rolled three times and you walked away as though nothing happened. Or or you have some miracle story at birth or you have some condition that only that doctor noticed or more positive kind of things. Uh, you, You got raised by this person who is different from what would have happened if you got raised by that person, which is what happened with Moses. Or you got that scholarship you should have never deserved and it changed your entire life because it opened a door for you to do something and you only got that scholarship because one of your parents has some 10% genetic something, something. Whatever your story is, every one of us here, or, or you got to be the, the starter on that team because little Johnny broke his leg and it turned out to be the turnaround for you and you got lessons and you went on to get a college scholarship playing sports. Every one of us can look back and say, man, God, I didn't notice that. You were setting me up for something. And then you can just imagine the conversation continuing. Moses says, look, I, I mean, I'm Hebrew, but I was raised in Pharaoh's house. So the Hebrews hate me, and the the Egyptians know I'm not good enough to be one of them. I don't belong to anybody. And I can imagine God saying, that's exactly what the enemy would tell you. He'd tell you, you don't belong to either. The truth is you belong to both. You're the only person that can speak to one for the other. Because no Egyptian is ever going to save the Hebrews, and no Hebrew is ever going to be good enough to speak to the Egyptians. But I did this. I rescued you out. 
I made you one of, but raised by the other, so you are both. You are uniquely created. To do. You stand there looking at this burning bush saying, why me? I'm not qualified. And the truth is you're the only human being on the earth that is qualified because you're the one I made to do this. And every single one of us, God has made you to do something that you think you can't do. And the very thing that you believe is standing in the way is exactly what God put in your life because you don't need it. Or, or, or it's something that God's going to work. Here's the thing. Moses said, by the way, I can't talk. Now, don't, you, don't miss this. If you're thinking about lunch, come back and pay attention to me. Don't miss this. If God could save Moses, the only child born in a two-year age range, if God could make him uh, be found in a river by Pharaoh's daughter so that he could be raised and have favor in Pharaoh's household, and yet by his... Uh, uh, what's the word, heritage, uh, be an Israelite, be a Hebrew. Why couldn't God make sure he could talk? If God's going to be that detailed about every single little thing in his life, why didn't God make sure he didn't stutter? You know the reason? Next part of the story is God starts showing him how to do some cool stuff. I can just imagine being there. God's like, hey, Moses, take that stick in your hand, throw it on the ground, and it turned into a snake. And then God says, pick up the snake, and it turns back into a stick. And he says, hey, well, that was cool. Wasn't it cool? We're going to do some fun stuff. We're going to do all kinds of tricks, and people are going to be all amazed. Here's the point. And all of chapter 4, as the story goes on, God used Moses not to run his mouth, but to show God's power. You don't need to talk if God has called you to be an instrument of his power upon planet earth. The number one reason that Moses thought that he wouldn't be good enough as a leader, God didn't need that. Well, God, I won't be a very good leader because I can't talk. It's okay because you're just going to do miraculous powers like nobody on the earth ever before and everybody's going to bow down and go, oh my gosh. Oh, but if you want to talk, that's okay. I can loosen your tongue. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Think about this. Probably one of the greatest disqualifications in Moses' eyes was that he was wanted for murder. Well, I don't know about you, but if a Hebrew shepherd does show up and say, I want to talk to Pharaoh, probably not going to get an appointment. But if a guy wanted for murder, for killing one of his people who used to live in his own house, shows up and says, hey, I'm here, he's probably going to get in the door. Everything, everything that Moses thought was wrong with him was exactly what God was using. Think about yourself. Right now, if God said, I want you to go lead a, a life group. I want you to get together with other men and, and lead them to follow Jesus. I want you to get together a group of ladies and help them with their marriage. I, I want you to, to go and lead this team. I want you to, to, to take this trip and, and lead these people to this nation and do this, this missions trip. I, I want you to, to go and, and start a safe house or, or an orphanage or, or this outreach. Whatever God would put on your heart, and the truth is it's already on your heart. Every one of you has already heard something. What are the first things that would come to mind? The, the things that would make you think, this keeps me from doing what God's calling me to do. This is standing in the way. See, I, I was called by God at 16. I knew at 16 years old, this is what he had called me to do, and I would do this for a living someday, somehow. 
But as all of my other friends who were called to ministry, uh, they, they went off to college for Bible school and they were in, in working in churches at, at like 19 years old. You heard from Brandon, he preached two weeks ago. He was a full-time youth pastor at 19 years old. And for whatever reason, uh, my path was different. I, I couldn't get on that path. I was getting a music degree and thinking, why in the world do I need a music degree? God, why are you having me get a music degree? And then I would try to, to work in, in a church and couldn't get a job in a church and couldn't even volunteer in a church. They wouldn't take me as a volunteer, I kid you not. Like, I, I couldn't do any. And I'm thinking, what is wrong? And, and so I spent over a decade, while all of my friends are preaching every week and mentoring youth, I spent over a decade teaching middle school. I'm thinking, come on, God. Like, this has got to be getting in the way of what you called me to do. This has got to be disqualifying me. Like, everybody's going to stand up in front of a church someday, and, and they're going to have 10 years of experience, and I'm, I'm just going to be getting started. This, this is not lining up. But let me tell you what God was doing, because what you think is standing in the way is probably the very thing God's going to use. I taught band for those 11 years, over a decade of, of every day having had 300 kids in my band. And if you give 300 kids little wooden sticks with lots of buttons and keys and everything else and, and, and they play seven or eight or nine different instruments in the room at the exact same time and, and you're supposed to keep your sanity and all of that and so suddenly you've got this kid sitting here trying to figure out how you put this thing together and what you do and it's got a hundred buttons on it and you have to teach them how to suck on a piece of wood and put it in there and put it all together just right so it doesn't sound like a goose but instead sounds like a band and I mean it's pretty complicated and on top of that the only language we're going to use is one they've never heard of and it's all written with little dots, circles and squiggly lines and nobody even understand. Here's what God was doing. If you can make 11-year-olds succeed at that, it's because you have taken something incredibly complicated and turned it into something very simple. And I don't say this arrogantly. I say this to inspire somebody. The number one thing that people tell me every week in the lobby is you, you make this so simple. I've never sat in my office and said, oh, God, how do I simplify your word for this week? I don't. I've never asked that question once. But 11 years of getting kids with all of those buttons, with a language they've never heard, figure out how to do something, you've got to make sense of it. And so now I just naturally think God's created me to take Hebrew and Greek and Old Testament rules and all of the, and, and just bring it down to something that's just, South Carolina making some sense. I mean, even Jethro can get this one, y'all. You know what I'm saying? What I thought was standing in the way was actually preparing me to succeed at. Y'all following me? And so some of you are saying, oh, but I was a murderer. We'll talk about sin next week. Some of you are saying, oh, but I can't talk. We'll talk about that too. Some of you are saying, oh, well, I, you know, I don't really think I know. I mean, whatever your answers are. Now, here's the, the real kicker. You may not be certain about who you are, but God is. But do you know what his ultimate answer was to Moses? It wasn't even that. His ultimate answer to Moses, they went back and forth a little bit, and God just turned to Moses and said, hey, here's what you need to know. I am who I am. You may be uncertain about you, but I am not uncertain about me. And last time I checked, I'm the one that's going to show up in power. I just need you to go. And you can walk. So you just go. 
You think it's all about you? Let me tell you how this is going to go down. You're going to go say, Pharaoh, let my people go. That's all you got to say. Let my people go. Those are, can you do that, Moses? Let my, okay, good. You can say that. You're going to be okay. And guess what he's going to do? He's going to say, no, it's not about you. It's about what I'm going to do. I'm just going to let you be part of it. And see that gathering some guys around you or some ladies around you and you think it's all about what you do or don't have. Truth is, you just got to be there for God to speak through you. God knows who he is. He's not uncertain. God knows what he's created you for. He's not uncertain. God knows what he wants to do through his church on planet Earth. He's not uncertain. We just need to know. We need to know. Many of you know. Some of you are still wondering, what is God calling me to do? How could I be a leader in this church? This is just for free. I didn't do this in the other two services, but it just so happens right after your service is first step part two. And this is all we talk about. Who God made you to be and how you can do that in this church to have a life that matters. So I encourage some of you, any of you that have never been, just stick around right after the service and they will very practically help you. I've given you a very heavy, big spiritual concept, but they will very practically help you figure out who you are, what God's made you to do and how you can walk in that. Now, what we're going to do right now is uh, uh, we're going to take time and fill out the cards that were on your chair. I'm going to turn, shift gears a little bit. Uh, the story told us that Moses turned aside to see why that bush was burning. And that's what we're doing this week as we kick off our week of prayer and fasting. We're turning aside from some of the distractions in our life to God. So when you came in, every one of you had a card on your seat that looks like this. Some of you have been around here long enough. You already know what to do with it. And you've already, uh, you already done what I'm about to ask you to do. But I always like to say it this way. If you imagine this doorway over here by the stage, if you imagine Jesus is back there taking 30 second appointments. And, and when you walk in, he says, what can I do for you? Whatever your answer would be. Well, God, I've got a marriage I don't know what to do with. Hey, God, I've got a sickness the doctors don't have an answer for. Well, hey, God, actually, that thing Jimmy was just talking about, I, I really wish my life mattered. I don't know what the next step is. Whatever it is, the number one thing you would ask Jesus to do in your life, write it on that card. You, can, you don't have to be a member here. You can be a guest here today. Even if you're never coming back. It's anonymous. What we're going to do is every time we get together, we're going to pray for those cards multiple times. Somebody is going to be praying for you multiple times all week long to see God do that number one thing in your life. So let's take a minute right now and write down whatever you need God to do in your life the most. Grab a pen, grab a card, and just go ahead and do that right now. Some of you may still be writing, and that's fine. Um, a little bit later in the service, we're going to take up the offering. And when those buckets pass by, if you'll just drop your card in the bucket, we're going to have them all back out. We'll have them up here on the stage tomorrow morning when you come in. And uh, so right now, I'm just going to close us out by praying for us. 
you guys just join me. God, we thank you that you use people that are insecure, that you use people who sometimes aren't qualified. You use Moses, you use sinners, you use tax collectors. You, you've called all kinds of people. You've called us and you're going to use us. So God, our heart, our prayer today is that we will lead spiritually. We've led naturally, we've stepped out, we've taken risks, we've advanced careers, we, we've done some of these things, but God, we want to do this in your kingdom. We want to find out what you've called us to do. And we want to, instead of saying, why me, we want to say, yes, God. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. This fulfillment, this knowing who you are and what you are called to do, you can't find apart from the life that God has built for you. And it starts with him as your Lord and Savior. If you've never made Jesus your king, I want to help you do that today. You see, Jesus came, he died on the cross. His death paid for our sins because none of us are perfect. No one deserves life. No one. We all deserve to pay the penalty for the sins that we've committed on our own. But Jesus died so that he could pay for those sins. And then Jesus was raised from the dead by the supernatural power of the Father. And by that same, you and I can have eternal life. And all of this Jesus gives to us freely for anyone who would receive the free gift. If you've never done that, I'm just going to lead you in a simple conversation with him right now, right where you're seated. Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer today is that you give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.